0: what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. If you have been following the uh, sermons that I've been trying to preach the last few weeks, uh, I've been talking about how we can love God. I've been talking about, uh, from what the Bible says, about how we can love our brother and also how we can love our neighbor. Now, today... We're going to talk about how to love the enemy, and this is perhaps one of the hardest passages in the entire Bible in relationship to how we can adjust our lives to fit the mold that God has presented for us. So let's just begin by reading Matthew chapter 5 together. Matthew chapter 5, and I'm going to be reading from verse 43 through verse 48. You have heard that it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. If you love them which love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the publicans the same thing? And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans the same thing? Be ye therefore perfect, as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Now, what, what, we, what we have to do to, to begin with is to, to make certain that we understand that God is not going to require of us something that we cannot do. So when we look at this passage that tells us to love our enemy, we have to be understanding and have enough common sense to know that God is not going to require us to go beyond our capacity. So when he tells me to love my enemy, he, he is asking me to do something that I am capable of doing. So as we approach this, we'll all, in all likelihood, we will need to understand what an enemy is. When we talk about enemies, we usually conjure up the idea of foes, antagonistic to one another, across a fence of barbed wire, hurling insults at each other, or driving down the freeway and making obscene gestures at one another, as if we have enemies, and that enemies are people that we actually feel an animosity toward. The first thing that needs to come to our mind is that he's not asking me to hate my enemy and therefore change my attitude from hate to love. He's asking me to love someone that hates me. That's the issue. So, when we talk about an adversary or an opponent, and that's what we're going to be talking about, he is he is the enemy. He is someone that that despises me. Not someone that I despise. And that's a, that's a critical point. He is someone that opposes me. He is an adversary who is, has who is taken up a vendetta against me and not necessarily one that I have against him. So God is not asking me, hey, Bill, hey, you've been hating this guy, so start loving him. No, he's saying, Bill, this guy has been hating you. I want you to love him because he hates you. And I want you to change that attitude in him. Your attitude should already be changed. If you're a Christian, you shouldn't be hating anyone. So the, the issue before us is not, I'm going to change my attitude of animosity and adversary, adversity, and being an opponent, I'm going to, not going to change my attitude from that. What I'm going to try to do is change my enemy's attitude toward me. So, we, t- we talk about uh, how, this is, how this is going to happen, and we talk about the fact that, that God has enemies. Understand this, that God does not hate anyone, but there are those who hate God. Now that's, that's really, when, when we're talking about God's enemies, we're talking about those who have set themselves in opposition to God. So let's, let's just look at this for a minute. James chapter 4 verse 4 tells us in this regard that the friendship with the world is enmity with God. So we set ourselves against God. He has not set himself against us. He has not chosen us as an enemy. We have chosen him as an enemy. And we choose him as an enemy when we turn aside from him, when we despise him, when we decide that we want to make friends with those in the world friends with the with the enemy as, he, as it were so that's one, one form of an enemy there are also enemies of Jesus in Philippians chapter 3 at verse 18 the text tells us that there are some who are enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ so it's obvious that there are those who, who can become enemies and who are enemies of Jesus Colossians 121 furthermore tells us that at one time, each one of us was alienated and enemies in our minds by wicked works. So there are enemies, Jesus has enemies, and we uh, obviously have become part of that group of people who were enemies of him when we were alienated from him by wicked works. Now when we befriend Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, the text tells us when we befriend Jesus that we are likely to make enemies. Not that why I become uh, opposed to other people, but that other people may come, become opposed to me because they are opposed to Jesus. Now in Matthew chapter 5 verse 11 says, Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is the reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Here here we have the idea that that people are opposed to Jesus Christ, and they become my enemy. Not that I feel animosity toward them, but there are those who feel animosity toward me. And then there are those who are opposed to the Holy Spirit. Now, in uh, Acts chapter seven, verse fifty-one, this is just a, a, an addition to what we're saying. In Acts seven fifty-one, Stephen was preaching to a group of people who had had a direct part in uh, crucifying Jesus Christ. And he said to these people, he said, "You are you're stiff-necked and hard in heart. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do ye." And then in Matthew chapter 12, verse 31, Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit and he said, all manner of sins will be forgiven of men and blasphemy. He said, but blasphemy against the Holy Spirit shall not be forgiven. Not in this world, nor that which is to come. So it is possible to make an enemy of the Holy Spirit. And that's done very simply by taking a look at the book and saying, this, is, this book is a bunch of trash. It's meaningless gibberish. This book means nothing because this is the product of the Holy Spirit. So when we take a position against the Word of God, actually we eliminate ourselves completely from any relationship that we can have with God. If If we assume and reach the conclusion in our life that this book does not come from God, then we are in direct opposition to the Holy Spirit. And then there is the enemy of society. We've all seen the, if we've gone to the post office, we've all seen the most wanted posters that have been posted. America's number one criminal. And so you you can see that there are those who are enemies of the community, enemies of society. I'm going to read a passage in Romans chapter 12, and this is one of those long passages that I'd ask you to turn in your Bible uh, to in, in in Romans chapter twelve uh, Romans chapter thirteen, pardon me in Romans chapter thirteen and i 'm going to be reading a few verses so let 's turn to Romans thirteen and start at verse one. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. the powers that be are ordained of God. whosoever therefore resist the power resist the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation rulers are not a terror of good works but to the evil will you then not be afraid of the power do that which is good and you will have praise of the same Mm -hmm. he is a minister of god to do to you for good but if you do that which is evil be afraid for he bears not the sword in vain he is a minister of god a revenger to execute wrath upon him that does evil so there are enemies of society criminals if you will Mm -hmm. people who oppose the the uh, standard of law, people who oppose the government, people who oppose those whom God has appointed basically to control and regulate society to bring order out of chaos. And then, as we start to say a while ago, there is the enemy of the community. So you can, you can be an enemy of community or you can know one who is the enemy of the community. And the community I'm talking about basically is the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and beginning at verse 1, and you'd, if you would like to turn to that text with me as well, we have a situation where someone has become a part of the community of God, which is the church, and has begun to infiltrate the, the uh, structure of the church, and actually has has begun to influence the church away from God and toward things that are immoral. So in First Corinthians chapter five verse one it says it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. And you are puffed up and have not rather mourn that he that has done this deed might be taken away from among you, for I verily am absent in body but present in spirit, having judged already as though I were present concerning him that has done this deed, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ when you are gathered together. In my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glory is not good, know you not that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Purge out therefore the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you are unleavened. Okay, What, what I've done, basically, is describe to you the fact that in the Bible, in the New Testament, and in our life with God, there are ways that we can personally become an enemy. We can become an enemy of God by befriending the world. We can become an enemy of Jesus by denying that he rose from the dead, by denying his power and his authority over us. We can, we can deny the Holy Spirit and become his enemy if we gainsay the word or if we speak against God's word. We can be an enemy of society if we pursue a criminal career. So it's possible that, but but in all of these, remember, we are the enemy. God is not the enemy. Jesus isn't the enemy. The Holy Spirit is not the enemy. Society is not the enemy. The community, the church is not the enemy. Like Pogo said one time, We are looking for the enemy and we found him and the enemy is us. We are the enemy in all of these if we make these oppositions. Now let's get down to the last one and the last one is the personal enemy. And this is where where we want to get to because the personal enemy is the enemy that's being spoken of in Matthew chapter 5. He's talking about your personal enemy. Someone who has taken up opposition to you personally. Not to society, not to Jesus, not to God, but to you personally. Someone that doesn't like you. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about when he asks you to love your enemy, when he he asks you to, to treat your enemy differently, he's asking you basically to... Treat your enemy differently. Someone who does not like you, does not want to be with you. He wants you to destroy your enemy, but he wants you to destroy your enemy by making a friend of that enemy. And he's given us the 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 pattern and the way that we can do that. So he says, Here's the way to treat your enemy, and here's the way to destroy him. What you do is you love your enemy. And then, then, then let's go back to Matthew chapter 5 and, and see what he says. And look at this carefully with me because this, this, is, this is an essential point. We cannot assume that he's talking to us about an enemy in terms of the fact that we have animosity in our heart towards someone. It has to be the fact that someone has animosity in their heart toward us. So in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38, it says, You have heard that it has been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue you at the law, take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. Whosoever will compel you to go a mile, go with him too, give to him that ask you, and from him that would borrow of you, turn not away now all of this all of these solutions to animosity are on a personal level it is a person to person animosity someone does not like me someone hates me someone is my adversary not because i hate them not because i don't want to be around them not because i i detest them The opposite is true. We're looking at people in this text that have that feeling toward us, toward me. Now, my response generally, and this text tells us that that was the response in the Old Testament, that God said, okay, here's the way you handle personal animosity. If a guy knocks your tooth out, you get to knock his out. If a guy pokes your eye out, get even, poke his eye out. That was personal activity. Found in Exodus chapter 21 and and, uh, Leviticus, I think, verse uh, verse 26, chapter 26. But anyway, what he's saying is, here's how you even every, here's how you even the score. Here's how you even the score. And in the Old Testament, this was before Jesus, BC, before Christ. This was the way God said, here's the way you keep everything level and even between you. But we did not have the the tools that God has given us in Jesus Christ, which is called love. Now he says, that, that we don't want you to do that anymore. Jesus, as a matter of fact, Jesus probably disturbed a whole lot of people, including us, when he says, love your enemies. So he said, here's the way you do it. Here's the way you, you make sure that, that uh, the score is even. Now the first thing we want to note is that Retaliation is detrimental. Our feeling is, our first feeling is, if someone does something to me, I need to get even. I need to get even. Think about it in this terms: you get into a quarrel or an argument. As you, if you're like most of us, you don't you don't say everything you want to say at the time. So you say you get you get through it, and maybe they got the best of you in an argument. And after a while, you begin to grind around on this and say, well, you know, I wish I'd have said this. Well, if this happens again, I'm going to say this. So we, we think about retaliation. How are we going to get back? How are we going to get even with what someone has done to us, with what someone has said to us? And that's what he's talking about here, isn't it? The point is that retaliation does not destroy the enemy retaliation and and our getting even actually escalates the animosity it just gets worse you do not conquer an enemy by force or retaliation it doesn't happen it didn't happen when i was a kid when we got into fights scuffles if i happened to win the win the fight the kid probably had a bigger brother and generally did. And the bigger brother came and got even. You never get even. It never works. Well, how then are we are we expected to, to destroy that enemy if we can't retaliate? If we begin to think about retaliation, it's going to increase and fuel our hatred. It will make something of us that is detrimental to us. My hatred of an enemy does not do anything to that enemy at all. It may aggravate him. It it may, may, may make him want to do worse, but it does not help the situation. It just ramps up the animosity. So if I want to knock out his tooth because he knocked my tooth out, as it were, it's just going to make things get worse for me. It won't bother him at all. It won't bother them. It will desensitize my heart to the needs of that individual. It make me look at him as someone that, uh, that I begin to despise. And so it begins to tear at my heart. And it will consume my thoughts. It will just consume me. I'll be thinking day and night of how I'm going to get even and what I'm going to say. And every time I see that person, my heart will race. I'll begin to feel worse. And I want to figure out some way, some way that I can get to them and, and uh, resolve the issue and make sure that I'm even again. Mm-hmm. In Philippians chapter 4, the text says at verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, mm-hmm. whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, be any praise, think on these things. Well, when we think in terms of retaliation, then these things have no part in our thoughts. Our thoughts become corrupt. Our thoughts become consumed. So what he's telling us is, don't try to get even. Don't try to get even. Now, that brings us to this point. How does God defeat his enemies? How has he defeated his enemies? The first thing that we look at, of course, is the fact that God defeats the enemy through love. God is love, 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. So the way that God will conquer you if you are a friend of the world is to make you his friend. And the way he made you his friend was by his love. God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten Son. Whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So he extended his love, and the Bible says basically, to all people. Now we, we have to keep in mind that that uh, when when it says that God loves everybody, it doesn't mean that he has the same emotional attachment to those who oppose him as he does to those who are faithful to him. But he does love everybody. And it says he sends his son on the just and the unjust. He sends his reign on the just and the unjust. Mm-hmm. So everyone is a recipient of the concern and care of God. And everyone has an opportunity mm-hmm. to know God, to love God, and to be enfolded in God's love. So the first thing God does to defeat his enemy, he makes them his friends with his love. The second way he defends his enemy, defeats his enemies is with justice and judgment. Now, God is not going to make you a friend through violence. And a lot of folks begin to think, well, God did this to me. God did that to me. God doesn't love me. God God has hurt me. God has not answered my prayers. God is my enemy. And so they begin to think that this, this is what God is doing to me. He's doing bad things to me. God's not going to do me. To any bad things you have bad things to happen to us, it's going to be because we have not been faithful to God. It's because the devil is at work on this earth and it's because bad things happen to everybody in this life. And this life is not going to be all there is to it. but at this point, we do know that God loves us. But secondly, there will be a time when everything will be made right. And so Hebrews chapter 10, verse 30 and 31 says, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will repay, saith the Lord. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. God will one day destroy all the enemies. He will one day destroy all the enemies. And that's a fearful thought to me. But it's not as if God is just going to ignore our behavior. He is going to take judgment. Now that does not mean at that point that he's going to win the, the his opponent. It means that he's going to punish the opponent, and justice will be served. In Second Thessalonians chapter one, at verse seven, it says, "To you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ." who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord, from the glory of His power. So there's a time coming when, as a matter of fact, all of God's enemies will be destroyed. They'll be destroyed, first of all, by love. And secondly, they will be destroyed through judgment. I want to be in that first class. And you know, there's a, there's a passage in Psalms chapter 110, at verse 1 that talks about Jesus. Now, I've thought about this a lot, and I want to pass this on to you. The text says that God is going to put all enemies under his feet, mm-hmm. under the feet of Jesus. Now, he's going to put all enemies under his feet. So we have the two, two factors. We have that of love and that of judgment. He's going to put all enemies under the feet of Jesus. That is, he's going to make sure that those who love him will be in subjection to him. That's the enemy that he's going to put under his feet. In 1 Corinthians 15, he further moves into into another area, and he says, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. So all the enemies of Jesus, the way Jesus is going to, to put them under his feet, is through his love, and through his mercy, and through his kindness. Now, that brings us to our enemies. <laughs> and that's, that's, the, that's the, uh, the, the, the phase that we have to really take a close look at. How do I destroy my enemies? Uh, God is not telling us to, first of all, he's not saying, now, if, 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 while, while you're dealing with your enemy, ignore the sin of that enemy. Ignore it when, when, that, when that person is sinning. Don't say anything about it. But that's not what God says. We're told that we're to give no place to the devil. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 27. So in order for me to win an enemy over to God, I do not do it by ignoring sin. And that's, that's where when we talk about the, uh, the making of a friend of an enemy... We do not do it by ignoring the fact that that person may be engaged in something that is displeasing to God. We do not encourage or endorse sin. We're told in James chapter 4 verse 7 to resist the devil and he'll flee from us. We do not do it by compromising with sin. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 11. And we do not do it by enabling someone to sin. If I'm trying to win a friend for Jesus in particular, it, it, it does not behoove me to, to compromise and say, oh, it's, it's okay, I will be your friend and you can be my friend and I won't ever tell you that you're doing anything wrong because I don't want to upset you and make an enemy. Now we have to use some common sense. God said that we that we are to love our enemies, but he doesn't tell us that we should enable people to sin. There were a couple of passages in the book of Revelation chapter two that's interesting to me. One was, in Revelation chapter two at verse fourteen, the church at Pergamos was told that uh, he had that God had something against them there because they had those there that were participating in the same thing that uh, Balaam participated in. And that was because they had been placing stumbling blocks before Israel. They had been, they had been allowing these people to, to entice other people into illicit activities. And the same thing was said to the church at Thyatira in Revelation chapter 2 at verse 20 because he said I have something against you because you suffered that woman Jezebel in your midst to seduce my servants. So when we talk about making sure that, that we love our enemies that we are not wanting to enable sin, we're not wanting to compromise sin, we're not wanting to encourage sin or ignore sin in all these areas. So I'm I'm, I'm approaching my enemy and the enemy hates me, despises me. And the question I have for you is, do you have an enemy? Well, basically, I know that some of us think that everybody loves us. Nobody has any hard feelings against us. That uh, we have all the friends in the world that, uh, everybody thinks I'm wonderful and I, I, I just don't have any enemy at all. That's, that's of course wishful thinking because there are people who do not like you. And I know there are people who do not like me and they've let me know that. And I'm sure you have people that don't like you, that you are your enemy. They don't like you and they've let you know that. But the Bible says, in order to defeat that enemy, here's how you whip the enemy, it's not by violence, it's not by encouraging their sins, it's not by being quiet about what they're doing that's wrong, it's not by compromising, it's not by enabling them to continue in their sinful activities. But he says, here's what you do. When someone smites you on the right cheek, turn the left one also. When someone sues you at the law... Give up. You want your coat? Give me your cloak too. When someone compels you to follow them for a, 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 to go with them for a mile, go too. Someone to ask you for something, give it to them. What he's saying is, don't get involved in a situation where you're trying to get tit for tat, when you're trying to get even, when you're trying to make sure that that. Uh, this controversy continues on. So, basically, he's not, he's not, uh, he's not encouraging sin. He's not saying, hey, if, if, so, if somebody comes, a marauder or a killer comes into your community, that you're, you're supposed to ignore that. That's not what he's saying. And he's not saying that, that, the, that the man who physically abuses his wife or children ought to be coddled. He's not saying that He's talking about personal activities. He's talking about how you personally react to your personal enemy. And you have them. You have personal enemies. You have people that don't like you. And you have people that, that don't want to be around you. And you have people that may abuse you. And what he's telling us is, don't get involved in that imbroglio. Don't get involved. Don't continue in that fight. Get away from it, stop it, and do something good instead of something evil. Don't try to get even. You will never get even. It will never work. It has never worked. Force has never worked in bringing an enemy. You can bring them to their knees, but you cannot bring them back in your heart. It won't work that way. Now I'm going to read a passage in the the book of Romans in chapter 12 that sort of sums all this up for us. And let's see if if this doesn't coincide with what we've been talking about. Romans chapter 12 and verse 14 says, Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend of men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lies in you, live peaceably with all men. Mm -hmm. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourself. Now that's what we're talking about in Matthew chapter 5. Avenge not yourself. Do not try to get even. Avenge not yourself. Rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. In so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Okay. Now that takes a certain type of person to do that, doesn't it? So now I'm going to take you back to the book of Matthew in chapter 5. Let's see if we can find who that type of person is. Now in Matthew chapter 5, when he says, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And he says, "Don't resist evil." He's telling you not to get involved in those situations where you try to get even with the person and try to keep keep your balance. Basically, he's, he's saying, you're, <laughs> "If I can let's see if I can express this right," he's trying to say he's telling us, "Do not try to maintain your situation and prevail in that situation." He says, if somebody hits you, the way you prevail in that situation is don't hit back. Now that's not talking about the bully. We've got to have some sense along this line, a bully with our kids. That has to be stopped. And it's not talking about senseless slaughter of innocence. It's talking about your personal enemy. You have someone that you're in a controversy with. You're in a heated discussion with. And that person reaches out and hits you. Well, let's get this solved, you say. So I'm going to hit him back. Well, he said, no, don't do that. You're not going to win him that way. You're not going to change him that way. You're not going to put that enemy under your feet that way." And he says, "If somebody takes you the law, and the law is on your side, and et cetera, et cetera," said, "Don't. If he sues you, give him your coat. He's asking for your coat. Give him your cloak also." And he says, if, if if someone asks you for something, give it to them. So, he's, he's actually talking about these personal enemies. But here's the point. If you go on down at verse 43, when it says, Thou shalt love thy neighbor, hate thine enemy, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate, and pray, hate you, and pray for you, which despisefully use you, and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father, which is in heaven, he makes His Son to rise on the evil and on the good, sends rain on the just and the unjust. So whatever we do in helping others, we want to include our enemies in that same situation that we can help them. But what He says here basically is, if you love them which love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the publicans the same. If you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans so. Then here's the, here's the point. And in all of this, this is the point. He says, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Mm -hmm. That word perfect means full grown. Grow up. That's what he's saying. Grow up. You're not a kid. You're not a child. You're not someone who does not have the control over your emotions. Grow up. Be a man, be a woman, be full grown and see this situation for what it is. Just like your father saw the situation. He saw the situation. He saw that the whole world was lost. And so instead of just cursing everyone and sending them all to hell, he said, here's the way I'm going to bring them back to me. He did it in a mature fashion. So what he's telling us, and that's what we're, we're advised to in the rest of the New Testament, and that is Grow up. Get mature. Do not react like a child would react. React like a grown individual, like a grown man. Ephesians 4 verse 13 tells us that we need to be perfect even as our Father which is in heaven is perfect. Mm-hmm. We need to be perfect in Jesus Christ. And I want to read that passage because that's, that has, says a lot to, it, to us about what he's, what he's telling us he wants us to be perfect Ephesians 4 till we all come in the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man he's telling us to grow up get mature mature yourself in Christ well if I'm going to pray for my enemy I'm going to have to have a certain degree of maturity in the Lord if I'm if I'm going to give to someone who's asking me I'm going to have have to have a certain maturity in the Lord I'm going to have to be thinking above and beyond the the disagreements that are coming our way. I'm going to have to think beyond that and above that. I cannot let myself get swallowed up by the violence and the retaliation that and the, and the getting even attitude that characterizes the world. I've got to get larger than that, taller than that, and I've got to get myself to the point through Jesus Christ that I can look at it and say, Here's an enemy, but that enemy needs love. They don't need me to get back at them, to get even with them, retaliate with them. And if they're going to succeed at all, if they're going to be saved at all, they need me to help them get to that point. That's basically what he's saying. He's not asking you to do the impossible. What he's asking you to do is grow up. Grow up in the Lord. Mm -hmm. Get mature about this thing. Okay, thank you very much. We're going to close this with a prayer and some songs.